Okay. Um, so that one through six uh, gives us sort of the, the main themes, and as I said, that that is that's is just sort of repetition of that, but with more specifics. So you can see chapter seven. Um, the heading is Isaiah sent to King Ahaz. So he said <laughs> seven through thirty nine. Uh, deals broadly with the Assyrian crisis. Okay, so um, the Assyrians, so our map again, this is the Mediterranean Sea, and uh, Israel's really over here, Jerusalem here, and over here, is Nineveh, which is the Assyrian capital, and the Assyrians stole, sometimes called Neo-Assyrians or New-Assyrians, um, start to expand and become, I was reading today, some people say the first sort of empire. Um, in in history, as much, you know, as much as we know history, there could have been a, an empire in the Amazon or something like that. Mm. This is not recorded; we don't know. But sort of first recorded empire, uh, and they so they begin to expand, and they they control Persia and along here, and they come under uh, King Tiglath Pileser. Uh, the third, um, <coughs> and um, the the uh, they they come and they're eventually going to invade the northern kingdom. Remember, if you remember, the northern kingdom, Israel. Falls in 722 BC. Okay, so that's actually they're eventually destroyed. Um, okay, so uh, chapter seven, though, um, uh, we see that Syria. So let's look at this one. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of, son of Remaliah, the king of Israel came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. So the Syrians, so the Syria, Syria is up here, and the Israelites go into a, an alliance and try to attack Judah, um, to attack Jerusalem, but um, they, they're not successful. Um, and then there is this, this prophecy given. Look at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord. Ahaz is the king here in Judah. Uh, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? 
Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, so that's the context in which we get this prophecy of a virgin having a child, and his name is called Emmanuel. Uh, you want to remember what Emmanuel means? God be God with us, yeah. So that God would actually be with us. Um, okay, so now, uh, virgin can mean young girl. Um, and so there's probably a child that is born as a sign to, to Ahaz at the time. It's not so much to say, well, you know, he has a sign Ahaz in 730 years or whatever. Uh, some a child is going to be born, so there was a a probably a literal child at the time who was born as a sign just to say God will be with you and keep you, <clears throat> but the the Jews took this as meaning much more. Okay, this points to something beyond that: the coming of a deliverer, a savior, God with us, and of course we we understand that to be fulfilled by by the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so. Um, chapter 9 then gives us another prophecy um, uh, verse 2 the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shined and um, this is repeated in Matthew in the coming of of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he's born in, in um, the area of Galilee, that area where it's, it's the darkness of the Gentiles, the gospel has come to, to, to pagans, to those in darkness. And so, that, again, there are a lot of messianic prophecies here. But it's in the midst of judgment for Israel. The Assyrians come in and they're going to destroy uh, Israel. And they were very cruel people. Um, but they were also a people who their political, their way of dealing with the nations that they conquered was to deport people. So quite a clever way, because if you, if you, if you come in and conquer a land, and then you take all the people out, mm-hmm. and you break them up, they, they lose their... Um, their link to the land, they lose their connections to one another, um, and they, they, they integrate much more easily into the other cultures. Okay? So, um, pretty clever. And so, you know, from this point, Israel, in a sense, ceases to exist. And that's uh, where we get, I think I've told you already, where the Samaritans come from, because they're Jews who intermarry then, and... Um, the, the Jews in Judah really hated them because they saw them as you know, mixtures. They were not pure Israelites. They had intermarried and they had taken Judaism as well and mixed it a bit. And so remember the woman at the well, um, when you know she's speaking to Jesus, you know, we, should we worship in this mountain or that mountain? And the Lord is quite, you know, you know you're totally wrong. Um uh, let me just say how, how he puts it. It's quite interesting. Um, no, I don't, this answer, no one. 
John 4. Verse 22, he says, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Okay, so he's, he tells her, look, you don't know what you're doing. Okay. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, that's where that, that, when you understand the Samaritans and their background and the woman at the well and the and, you know, antipathy between the two of them, it's, it adds to the, the richness of the whole story. But that's what happens. But in the midst of this, there's this promise of Emmanuel, of people in darkness seeing a great light, of, of hope. Okay? But it is really a period of a, a section of judgment. And so it talks about uh, judgment there. <clears throat> Look at uh, chapter 11. They shall come for, verse 1, they shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So remember chapter chapter 6. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Um, so um, if you, when we get to Revelation, I'll talk about the seven spirits. And so people have asked about that, you know, these seven spirits, what's going on there? But um, a lot of commentators link it back to this verse to say it's the seven, the sevenfold spirit or the seven aspects of the spirit. It's talking about the Holy Spirit and seven as a number of completion. But here there are seven aspects to the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So just so, yeah, just so you know, lots of commentators do take it back here because there are seven aspects to the Holy Spirit here. Okay, and then it talks about him. But here you, you're seeing the connection. Isaiah is very confusing because he, he moves around chronologically. It's, as we said, it's, it's obviously a collection of his sayings. Um, but you start to link it together. Okay, there's a stump here, the stump of Jesse. It's going to be a branch that comes out of that and... And we can see there's hope. And the hope is in a person. Okay. Uh, then we come to chapter 13. So I think it's 13 through 27. Are oracles against the nations. So. Oracles of judgment against the nations. And they... Um, they are fairly common. They're not the bulk. But you need to imagine, so if you're a Jew, your, the surrounding nations are your enemies because they're always trying to conquer you or they've done bad things to you or they have conquered you. So what, what do you think your response will be when you hear the prophets saying, God says, I'm going to judge Babylon, I'm going to judge Assyria, I'm going to judge Moab, I'm going to judge Egypt. What do you think the response of the people will be? Um, yeah, joy. Yeah, praise the Lord. God, you're going to judge our enemies. Um, but, but then he keeps going and then he'll talk about, I'm going to judge you as well. Okay, So um, 
he goes through the different nations. Um, and you can see there, chapter 13, the judgment of Babylon. Um, and chapter 14, verse 24, an oracle concerning Assyria. Verse 28, an oracle concerning Philistia. That's the Philistines. Chapter 15, an oracle concerning Moab. Um, chapter 17, an oracle concerning Damascus. Chapter eight, 18, an oracle concerning Cush. Chapter 19, an oracle concerning Egypt. But in the midst of that, because remember God's plan has always been to save the nations. Okay? Israel was meant to be a light to the nations. So God will judge them when they, of course, oppress God's people and don't obey him. But his plan is always to save from all the nations. And even here, we get a pointer in that. So look at chapter 19, verse 20, 23. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Okay, you see, see what's going on there? Um, it's saying God is going to save from these nations, the traditional enemies of God's people, so that God will say, these are my people as well. Okay? So from all the nations, God is, is going to save people. And that's what is happening now. Okay? We're living in that period. Christ has come. And people from all nations are, are being saved. Okay? Um, so um, there's always this... Judgment, but hope. Judgment, hope. Judgment, hope. Uh, judgment, salvation. Judgment, salvation. Um, okay, so that's, you know, um, you, you get the picture as we go through it. Um, there's a lot of beautiful poetry in between and a lot more specifics, but you get the, the broad picture. Okay, Chapter 28, then, uh, we, we now come to Hezekiah. So we were looking at Ahaz. And that's really the, um, the Assyrians. And that, that ends up with the Assyrians uh, conquering Israel. But then Hezekiah uh, is king of Judah. Israel has fallen. And... Uh, there's another crisis. It's the Assyrians again, who now want to conquer Judah. They want to keep coming down and they want to conquer Judah. And Hezekiah is the king. Um, and they, they besiege Jerusalem, chapter 29. And um, there's a warning Chapter 30, the heading is there, do not go down to Egypt. So remember, the, God warns the kings, don't make alliances with other nations. Okay. 
I mean, the, we saw the Israelites try to do that with the, the Syrians uh, earlier. They're called the Syro-Ephraimite Alliance. Uh, now, Judah wants to make an alliance with Egypt. Okay. It makes sense politically, doesn't it? Why do you think God hates it so much? Because they have to depend on Him. Yes. Mm. Because that's the whole thing. God says, I will fight for you. You must trust me. Look to me. When, when they're trying to make alliances and be clever, and they're thinking on a human level. Okay? Mm. They're not trusting in, in the Lord. To say, Lord, we're outnumbered. But we are your people and we trust you. You know, you can win the battle, whether by few or by many. We know that. Okay? So that's why it's such a big deal. Don't put your trust in horses and chariots. Don't put your trust in, in these alliances. And the principle is the same for us today. It's not to say, you know, one for one politically or something like that. But, um, you know, we try and find salvation in other things. We try and find security in other things. Okay? And they're not necessarily evil things. In fact, they're normally not evil things. They're good things that we pervert. So you, you, know, you try and find, well, I'm going to find security and happiness in my bank account, in my, um, my, my looks or my health or my physique or my relationships or uh, my status, my achievements. Uh, all the things where we can say, well, I, um, and I mean, it's a real thing. The easiest one to say is my bank account because you can sort of think, okay, okay, yeah, but if this goes wrong and this goes wrong, at least I still have that. Mm-hmm. I've got those shares over there. <laughs> so even I've got offshore. Mm-hmm. So if, <laughs> now it's not wrong. It's not saying, you, of course, one must be wise. But you know that tomorrow the whole world economy can collapse and everything is, is a total totally gone and um, and then what does it mean you're finished no you, we, we, we must trust the Lord that he he will keep us okay? that he we are his so um, we mustn't look for other things the other thing we can do as well is is uh, think well I'm, I'm a good person okay that's where my confidence is I'm a good person I go to church, I'm religious, whatever it is. Again, we're, we're putting our confidence in ourselves and our abilities, etc., etc. So, it's the same principle. Where is your ultimate trust? If everything is taken away, are you finished or are you, still have, you still have the Lord and you're okay? okay. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, Hezekiah is warned not to do that. And um, um, he is, he is uh, delivered. Um, he goes and prays to the Lord to deliver them from the Assyrians, from Sennacherib. So chapter 36, you can see Sennacherib invades Judah. Sennacherib is the Assyrian king. Um, <coughs> so it's not Tiglath Palisa the third anymore. It's Sennacherib. This is, if you want to date, this is seven hundred one BC. 
when Sennacherib comes down into Judah. And um, chapter 7, 37, Hezekiah seeks Isaiah's help. And um, he cries out to the Lord, and the Lord delivers them. Uh, the Lord goes out and kills their soldiers. I think it's 185,000 soldiers that an angel kills, delivers them. And um, it's an it's a incredible thing. The Lord, the, exactly what, when you, Hezekiah repents and cries out to God and God delivers them without them even having to, to fight. Um, yeah, there it is, verse 36 of chapter 37. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And then it says, And as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sharazar, his sons, struck him down with the sword. So his own sons kill him. Okay. Judgment of God upon him. Okay. But Hezekiah doesn't learn. Okay. Because he, he, he makes an alliance with Babylon. Look at chapter 39. Envoys from Babylon. Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and says, Who are these people? He says, No, no, they're... they're uh, you know, envoys from Babylon. And I've shown them everything. Um, verse 2, And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole, whole armory. He's basically just showing them his whole, his wealth, his military strength. He's showing them everything. Verse 3, Then Isaiah the prophet came to Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come? And he tells him what, they ha- what had happened. Verse 5, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you shall father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, There will be peace and security in my days. Okay, so he he sort of takes it as, okay, well, it's not good, but at least in in my life it's going to be okay. So not very good. But the Babylonians, so Babylon's down here, that will be sort of the next empire that arises and knocks the, the Syrians off their perch. And they will come, and that will be Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, 586, who will then, he will conquer Judah. So, you know, it's sort of 100, 100 years away. Um, but it's, it does happen. Okay. But chapter 40 then starts with comfort. So that's why it's called the Book of Con- Consolation, or Good News. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. So it's the idea here is now that they're in exile. The Babylonians have come. They're in exile, but God still loves them. There is comfort for them. And that they are going to be able to, they will be delivered. 
they'll be brought back home. Okay, so, um, um, okay, so again, lots to say here. In the uh, in in this section now, we start to we come to the servant songs. Okay, so. So there, there are these these poems that talk about a servant, and can be quite confusing because sometimes a servant is uh, even Cyrus. So um, I think we did look at that last time, hey? Yeah, uh, Isaiah forty-five. <clears throat> um, oh, he's called a shepherd. Sorry. Uh, he's called a shepherd in Isaiah 44, verse 28, verse 1 of chapter 45. That says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus. Um, so he is praised. Cyrus is praised. Sometimes it's Israel as a nation. Uh, that That's the Lord's servant. But then we start to see that it's an individual. It's an individual who is the servant of the Lord. And um, it really points us to Christ. Okay. So the first servant song is chapter 42, uh, verse 1 through 4. So I think let me write these down because it's, it's definitely worth studying them. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall, he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So... It's talking about Christ. Okay. Now we're getting this as a human, a human figure, okay, a Messiah, a a servant who will have the spirit of the Lord upon him, and so uh, that's that's understandable. The Jews are are expecting. We're, they're looking for a Messiah. Um, the we've seen that from the very beginning, the the first gospel seed of the woman who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. So we know he needs to be a human being. So there's this expectation that he will, he will come. Okay. So um, we're, we're, he's mentioned there, chapters 41 through 48. And um, within that we saw about Cyrus. So this 41 through 48 are known as the Cyrus cycle. So remember the, the, the flow of Isaiah so far? The, there's the Assyrian crisis. Okay, the Assyrians come in, 
and God judges Israel. Uh, then the Assyrians try and take Judah and Jerusalem, but God intervenes and delivers them because Hezekiah cries out for repentance. But Hezekiah then then is is uh, very nice to the Babylonians, and the warning is well the time will come, the Babylonians will come in. So that that time comes where the Babylonians come in, they conquer them, they take them into exile, but. God delivers them using Cyrus. Okay, So that's the Medo-Persian Empire that, that comes forth and conquers the Babylonian Empire. And Cyrus says, remember 538, the, the decree of Cyrus, you can go back home. So really this, this is a prophecy about Isaiah, sort of centuries before, about their deliverance. You're going to go into exile... But God will keep you and he will bring you back. And he's going to use this man called Cyrus. So he will get you out of Babylon. Okay, remember, Babylon is, is a picture of the world. Okay, it's this archetypal city. Um, in fact, Peter will refer to Rome as Babylon later on. And we see Babylon, the harlot in Revelation. We see the Tower of Babel right at the beginning, Babylon. So all the way through, it's the picture of the world and the world system. And so they, the, the, the 48, 41 through 48 is saying, I'm going to get you out of Babylon. Okay? But when they come back to the land, are they, are they well behaved and sorted? No. The problem is, how do you get Babylon out of them? Okay. So that's the issue. You, God can take them out of Babylon, but how is he going to get Babylon out of them, out of their hearts? Okay? Uh, and so that we need someone else to come and do that. And the next cycle is called the servant cycle. Chapter 40, chapters 49 to 54. Where we have the next few servant songs. And they are very beautiful. Um, so... Verse 1, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. Have you ever wondered how, what's so beautiful about some of these servant songs is we get an insight into Jesus' life that the Gospels and that don't give us, and also into his emotional life. But have you ever wondered, I mean, imagine you're a parent and Jesus was your child. Imagine you Mary and Joseph. Imagine a child who never ever did anything wrong. Never bullied his siblings, never said an unkind word, never lied to them, never disobeyed them. You think you would notice, you know, you think you would. But yet when he goes and starts proclaiming he's the Messiah, they want to rescue him. They say he's gone mad. They don't get it. But here, we're told that God hid him away. In his quiver, he hid me away. Um, he's, he's sort of hidden from people noticing. 
And he said to me, you are my servant Israel. Okay, what does he call Jesus? What does God call Jesus here in this? Israel. Israel. Okay. So who is the true Israel? It's Jesus. Okay. Where ethnic Israel failed, where Adam failed, where we've just seen failure, haven't we, all the way through. Jesus Christ is the true Israelite who does not fail. Okay. And here he is called Israel. Okay. And so um, I believe, and we'll see this in Romans, is, is that all those who are in Christ are true Israelites. Okay. That's what uh, Paul even says. He says, the true descendants of Abraham are, the, are those who believe. It's not, it's not ethnic. It can be. You can, you know, if you're a Jew and you truly believe, then you're, you're ethnically linked to Abraham and you're spiritually linked to Abraham. But it's all those who are in Christ. That is the true Israel. That's why Paul will say not all Israel is Israel. Okay, but we'll get to that later on. Okay, so here he says, uh, you are Israel. But look at, what, look, look at how Jesus responds, verse 4. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Okay. Can, you, can you imagine Jesus thinking like that? Do you think Jesus ever thought like that? I imagine it. Well, think of his life. But didn't he say to those, it says he couldn't perform any miracles because they wouldn't believe. And and also he said to them, they're worse than those at Tyre and Sidon because, you know. If the miracles. If it was done there, those would have believed. But to, to imagine that Jesus got discouraged. See, because he, he was the greatest preacher who ever lived. Mm-hmm. And at the end of his life, even his own disciples run away from him. Like, you know, you get cult leaders. Cult leaders. Where their, their followers don't even do that. Okay? Mm-hmm. Their followers will burn with them. But Jesus' own disciples run away. It, it, when you look at it from a human perspective, and we know the story so well, but you need to... Remember, he's fully human. Mm. You mustn't think he's just like hovering around, <clears throat> not feeling stuff. He, he, he got discouraged. I mean, discouragement is not in and of itself a sin. Um, it, there are seasons. Here he says, I've spent my strength for nothing. All these years of ministry and miracles and preaching over the whole country. And at the end of it, how many people? Most, we, the most, the most number we have is 500. Okay. Just think of that. Peter preaches one sermon. How many people are converted? 3,000. It's the first sermon Peter preaches. Jesus doesn't have that after all his whole ministry. So you can see, as a man, as he, well, how does he respond, though? Yet, surely my right is with the Lord. But I'm going to trust you, Father. Mm. Okay. So... Uh, it's beautiful, the servant songs, because we do get an insight into the emotional life of, of Jesus. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, he was discouraged. Um, that's the second servant song. Um, the third servant song is um, chapter 50, verses 4 through 9. Um, 
Verse 5 says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Okay, and so... And then we come to the most famous servant song, the fourth one, from Isaiah 52, verse 13, through 53, verse 12. Uh, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. Remember John, Jesus says that, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. What was he referring to? Crucifixion. We tend to think if I be high and lifted up, he's going to be exalted. But it's, his, it's the cross. Um, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Carries on like that. Um, verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground. So that reminds us of the stump and the root of Jesse and the branch growing up. Uh, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Um, Okay, now imagine you're a Jew reading this because you're, you're waiting for a Messiah, a deliverer, who's going to be a man, but he's going to come and destroy the enemies. He's going to come and deliver. And now you're reading about the servant. Um, Should he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Then you look at verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Who's supposed to be crushed from Genesis 3? The serpent. serpent. So you can see the disconnect, like... Mm. Okay, this this doesn't sound good. Verse 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Um, we don't have time to go through, through all of it. But, um, there was a, um, the, the, uh, uh, from what I understand, they don't read this passage in the synagogues. Okay. Mm. They don't read it. And uh, I think it's uh, Lee Strobel or one of them. He, um, in his book, he puts an account. I forget where, where I read it or heard it. But somebody printed out this servant song without reference. They didn't put the scripture reference or the verses. And they put it on everyone's desk in their, in their office. And there were, there were Jews in the office and Gentiles. And they put it on everyone. And they said there was a question, where is this from? Everyone, including the Jews, said the New Testament and is talking about Jesus. Okay. Because it's, mm. it's clear, isn't it? Um, but the Jews, obviously, they Orthodox Jews, I mean those who reject Christ, don't agree with that. They say, no, it's talking about the nation of Israel and we don't, we don't obey God and so we suffer mm. and things like that. Um, but it's the Messiah. And they, that's why... They switch that section off. That's why when Jesus comes, they can't accept a suffering Savior. And that's why the gospel is so amazing, because unless you humble yourself, 
you, you won't be saved because we're all looking for power. We're all looking for a powerful way. Of, you know, you, you don't want to be linked with someone who's humiliated and brutalized. Mm. And, um, it's not the human way. The human way is power and conquest and promoting yourself and all of those things. To follow Christ, you have to humble yourself mm. and take up your cross and follow him, not atone for your own sins, but you have to submit yourself to say, I am a sinner and I need a savior. Um, and so that's why as you go through scripture, you, you keep finding there's a savior who's God and he's human and he dies. You know, how do you put all of that together? And so it is difficult, understandably, but it is there. Um, and they should have seen it. Jesus says that, you know. Haven't you read? Haven't you read? And so when Christ comes, it all comes together. Yes, okay. He is a man. He is God, and he dies, but he rises again on the third day. So these are all the promises of someone who's going to come and take Babylon out of us, who's going to change us, okay. And then 56 through 66 is the promise of um, a new heaven, a new earth, if you look at um, um, where is it? So before you get there, chapter 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's that's the passage. That's the scroll. Remember they said they brought the scroll of Isaiah where it is written. Uh, this is where he reads from. And then he says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. He's claiming to be the one who fulfills these prophecies. He's claiming to be God. Okay. Um, oh, there it is. Okay. Chapter 65, verse 17. For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. We don't have time to discuss that right now because there's some interesting things. But it ends with the promise of a new heaven, a new earth, and um, the glory of it. Um, but then also judgment right at the end. The last verses talk about the dead. And so that's sort of the flow of Isaiah. Yes. Um, I mean, chapter 60 is talking about the future glory of Israel, and uh, 62 is talking about Zion's coming salvation. Um, have these um, been fulfilled fully, or, or is Israel still going to get future glory or coming salvation? Yes. So that's that's why there's different different uh, theological schools. Okay. So the sort of main ones are uh, dispensationalism, yeah. and then covenantalism. So. Dispensationalism says that these must be literally fulfilled for ethnic Israel. Okay. So they say that there will be a time, a millennium, um, where the Lord will return and then he will set up his kingdom in Jerusalem and the Jewish people will be saved and he will, he will rule and reign for a thousand years so that these promises to ethnic Israel, to political Israel... Mm -hmm. Are fulfilled. Okay. Then the other view, the covenantal view, is 
Uh, no, these are shadows and types. All the promises find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, because that's what Corinthians says. Every promise is fulfilled in Christ. If you see Christ as the true Israel, then we're no longer waiting for a political fulfillment or a, a um, physical <coughs> fulfillment for ethnic Israel. We're waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled for the people of God who are in Christ. And, um, and that will be fulfilled in the new heaven and new earth when the meek inherit the earth. Okay? Okay. So Jesus doesn't say the meek will inherit Israel. Yes. He says the meek will inherit the whole world. So he shifts it. So um, God's people... So the, the, it's not that that um, God is a liar, it's that the promises are always for the true Israel, which are the believers. Um, and in fact, uh, in Acts, just to give you a little... Um, Yes. <clears throat> so, verse 14 of chapter 15. So, it's the Jerusalem Council. James stands up and he says, Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. So, he says, Gentiles are being saved. And then he says, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as, as it is written, after this, I will, I will return and I will re rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. And I will re rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. Now, it's quite remarkable that, uh, that James says the salvation of the Gentiles is the rebuilding of the house of David. It doesn't, doesn't make sense on a, if you read on a dispensational level. Because okay. you'd say, no, the restoration of the house of David would be Israel. Okay? It would be ethnic. Who's the house of David? Jews. So, but but uh, James says, no. The salvation of the nations is a fulfillment of that, that promise. But we'll, we'll look at that more when it comes to the New Testament, because that's a big theme, um, and that's why there's two different schools of thought on that. But I, would, I, I fall into the camp that says, no, the promises are fulfilled for all of God's people in the new heaven and new earth. Okay. Okay, so, Zion is just a, another word for that. The new Israel. heaven and new earth, mm -hmm. yeah. The heavenly Jerusalem, which... It's not just, again, the literal... Literal Zion, yeah. Okay. Um, and it is physical, ultimately, because it's a new, <laughs> physical new heaven and new earth. Um, yeah. Okay, sorry, our time is up. And I don't know, any questions? We'll close. Sorry? Okay, then we pray. 
Father, we thank you for the book of Isaiah. Thank you for its beauty. Thank you for its Christ-centeredness and all its prophecies about Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come and that you are able to take Babylon out of our hearts. Um, you're the only one who can do it. You're the only one who can take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Uh, thank you for having mercy upon us. And we pray that you would do it to millions more people here in our city, Lord. Please have mercy upon our city and our land. And please glorify yourself. Keep everyone safe, those who are traveling. And give us rest tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Mike. Um, that's it for today, everyone. Um, do enjoy the rest of your week. And we shall see you all uh, next week, I believe, for um, when we take a look at the next book. Cool to tell everyone. Sorry, sorry you went over. It was Vessel's fault. Until you record.